Hello and welcome to the Power in the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterton, and joining me on the line, as he does every week, is Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy? Yeah, good one. I'm going well. Uh, had the week off last week, which was a, a nice break as we get into the... Uh, Don't the brush over week. that, Caddy. You were celebrating <laughs> your 40th birthday. Oh, happy birthday to a happy belated birthday from all the Power in the Key listeners. <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, that's well um, well received. Thank you very much. But yeah, no, it was a bit of a milestone, I suppose, but yeah, didn't get up to too much um, with it all. I think most of my mates all turned 40 last year and because of COVID, sort of didn't get to do too much. So I thought, well, why should I have to do too much and have it just because we can? So I was, yeah, a bit more of a family weekend last weekend and uh, pretty low key uh, celebrations, which was um, which was absolutely fine by me. So more importantly, though, the local footy back here in Melbourne um, kicked off in earnest over the weekend, and you're leading the uh, mighty Mitcham Tigers. How many years in a row now have you, you, you led the, the coaching there? Uh, I think this is year seven-ish, seven, around about seven. There's obviously a couple of seasons interrupted with COVID, but yeah, I think it's the seventh year. Yeah, it's a, a pretty outstanding effort these days. With, um, it's a pretty um, brutal industry that a local footy coach yes, is. So it is. it out seven years is uh, outstanding. And so, yeah, you didn't quite get off to the, the start you wanted though, yesterday. No, no, a bit of a disappointing loss in the end. We, we stuck with uh, one of the teams to beat for probably three and a half quarters, but in the end we just... Couldn't quite close it out, but, you know, pretty positive start, I suppose, against one of the better teams. But, yeah, we've got a tough uh, tough ask next week against East Ringwood, who are the favourite. But let, let's not talk about the local footy, I think, Caddy. I think we need to talk about what we probably need to call the power in the key cup when the Cats take on the Pies, which happened last night, Caddy. And we, and we were texting each other throughout the game, and I said to you at half time that you guys should have been much further in front, and, and I thought you would smash us in, in the second half. And then... Halfway through the third quarter, I texted you again and was and was calling myself Nostradamus, basically saying, saying, see, I told you. But then, obviously, an incredible turnaround for Geelong to come back from, I think they were down by about 37 points at one stage. And I think they mentioned on the call it's only the fifth or sixth time in the history of, of Geelong, who have been around for 130-something years, that they've come come back from 30 or, 30 or more points at three-quarter time. So how was it for you, Caddy, as a Collingwood supporter? You obviously would have been... Enjoyed that third quarter, but I imagine that last quarter was a pretty tough watch. Yeah, it certainly was. I mean, it looked like the Maggies had the game on their terms all the way up until that last quarter and probably should have been further in front, really, and could have had the game killed off probably by half time if they kicked straight in that first quarter. But yeah, once they got on a roll there in the third quarter, but oh, well, at least they kind of made up for that and looked to be doing things relatively comfortably. And as the um, the glasses of red wine sort of got consumed quicker and quicker through that uh, third <laughs> quarter. I probably was quite good. I was uh, a bit hazy during the last quarter because it certainly didn't seem to be going our way. And the, the Cats' experience, I think, in the end, and the, the big power forwards up front uh, just proved too too good in the end and, and led brilliantly again by uh, your record-breaking captain, Joel Selwood, who's um, as an opposition fan has been you know a frustrating opponent many years but yeah I can't help but admire the way he does go about it as much as um yeah he does get under the opposition fan skin I think more more often than not. Yeah and we saw that again last night when he decapitated was it Ginevan I think um during the second or third quarter and yeah he, he'd had a bit of a dirty night Joel Selwood I think he's probably on his last legs as much as you know, as you said Geelong all Geelong fans absolutely love what Selwood brings to the table but I think he's on his last legs and certainly his time in the midfield 
I think uh, Chris Scott needs to trim that a little bit. But late in that game, there was probably three or four efforts, which just sort of typifies what Joel Salwood's all about. And maybe he can sort of pinch hit through the midfield and maybe late in games when the game slowed down a little bit and it comes down to grit and, and heart, which is what Joel Salwood's all about. Uh, the boys, and Paddy Dangerfield mentioned that after the game, that it was just such an important game for, for Geelong to win, given that it was a record-breaking night for Joel Salwood. So, yes, a very frustrating three quarters as a Geelong fan, but, uh, yeah, to get the chocolates in the end was very lucky. So hopefully they don't do that to me every week, Caddy, because there was a, a lot of swear words being thrown at the TV <laughs> last night. But uh, we're not here to talk AFL as much as we would love to, Caddy. We're here to talk the NBA, and there's only sort of four or five games left for most teams, Caddy. So I think it's a pretty appropriate time to select our all-NBA teams and, I guess over the last couple of seasons, Caddy, it's been a little bit contentious about the fact that there's been a number of players, but particularly Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid, I suppose, have sort of been eligible to be selected at both the centre and forward positions, and that's obviously uh, the case again this season. I think last year, Caddy, when we selected our teams, you selected both Jokic and Embiid in your first team, but I went the more traditional route uh, by selecting Jokic in first team All-NBA and Embiid second-team All-NBA. Now, the news came out about a week or so ago that the way the voting works is your votes only count to the position you were selected. So say, for instance, there's 100 voters and and 40 of them select Embiid as a centre in first team and 60 of them select Embiid as a forward in the first team. You can't combine those votes. So if he misses out as a centre, those 40 votes don't get transferred over to the 40. So, for instance, he's only got the, the 60 votes as a, as a as a centre in the first team. If, say, Durant and Tatum have over 60 uh, first-place votes as a forward, he, would, he, he wouldn't make the first team. So it's a bit strange the way the NBA are doing this. Well, what needs to happen is they need to come out and basically, in my opinion anyway, scrap their positioning because they sort of got their foot in the camp at uh, foot in each camp at this stage by saying, well, yeah, you can select them as a forward, even though both Jokic and Embiid don't play a second at forward. So they're, they're sort of giving the voters an out without without it really making much sense. So I'm interested to see, Caddy, which way you're going to go and what your opinion on that matter is. What do you Firstly, what do you think about that? Do you think it should just be totally scrapped and it should just be the best five players selected to that first team? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we had this discussion last year and I probably – you know, took the liberty that was afforded to us at that time to kind of, yeah, uh, put the big guys in there together and, and it probably took the easy easy way out in a sense. But I think, yeah, the way you've explained that there with the, the votes going there, it's probably no great um, point in doing that, I don't think. And I've probably heard back to the more traditional positional route as much as even still, like the, the amount of crossover um, and positionless ball that, that we see, it, it does make the positions, I think, to, you know, really redundant in the sense that, yeah, I think there's so much riding on the individuals for these All-NBA teams and for the fact that, you know, you could just miss out or a player could miss out based on purely a position um, when there is, you know, financial um, repercussions. I think it, it, it's a bit tough to for the NBA to kind of stick to this. I think they really need to, you know, have a look at, you know, just selecting the best 15 players effectively in, in order of first, second and third teams. and. I mean, it's probably an age-old um, argument. I don't know if you know if you took the time to go back through in the eighties and nineties and sort of work through how many times you know could have Patrick Ewing and David Robinson as an example been on the first team or Hakeem and David Robinson or whatever the case may be. We well, had you know, Chamberlain and Russell back in the heyday of the NBA just on on first and second teams. So yeah, it's happened for a long time. I guess it's just come into focus more now because they're giving the out of having players 
available at two positions. Yeah, and I mean that's just ridiculous. It's not. I, I don't think Jokic or um, Embiid would have played, you know, one minute of power forward really no. for the entire season. So it, it it is hard to sort of quantify how they'd be regarded as a as a forward. And um, yeah, so I've probably this year decided to sort of swing back to to, to sort of separating those out into you know just being centres really, and um, you know then being able to kind of get a bit more flexible with my, my guards and forwards. So who have you gone with, Caddy? Who have you gone with out of Jokic or Embiid as your first-team centre? Look, I ended up, um, you know, it's been pretty tight, and I think, again, it's going to be a really, really good um, MVP race, and I, I think they're the two favourites, I'd imagine. But I did just lean in the end to Nikola Jokic. I, I just think, again, you know, if he was the MVP last year, I don't think there's been anything to change that necessarily this year. I think he's done it with a, a probably a, a weaker supporting cast, which we've mentioned uh, this year and, you know, just continues to sort of put up, you know, enormous numbers really, you know, and really consistent across the season. He, he's been, you know, really durable and, and um, you know, I, I know the records probably are, are pretty similar. I think what Philly are currently 47 and 30 and Denver 46 and 32. So there's only really a game also in the two records. So um, Philly are a four seed at the moment, Denver are a six seed, but equal you know, tied for fifth. So, yeah, I, I, I think you're splitting hairs, really, if you're kind of looking just at uh, trying to justify that, you know, Philly might be you know, slightly higher in the seedings, but, you know, when the records are within the game of each other, I think, yeah, the, the impact Nikola Jokic has had once again this season for me, um, I think he'll win the MVP, and I think, yeah, in that case, he, he really should be rewarded with the first team, you know, the 26.6 points, 13.6 rebounds, eight assists, um, huge PER numbers, really effective field goal percentage of sixty-two. So, um, I've just given him the nod uh, just in front of Embiid. And, and look, you know, it, as I said, I just think he's had a better season, in my opinion, Jokic this year than last year when he was the MVP, higher scoring, higher rebounds. Um, yeah, so it's hard to go past him again. Yeah, I totally agree. I've settled on Jokic as well. It's a bit of a shame for for back to back seasons that you know the guy that can potentially finish second in the MVP is missing out on first team. But that's just the way the crookie come uh, crumbles, unfortunately. Yeah, the other thing that sort of gets Jokic's nose in front for me is he's played seventy one games and Embiid's played sixty four. So seven more games. It's not a huge amount, but it's enough to, if you are splitting hairs, the fact that Jokic has been available for seven more games. You mentioned the fact that he's done he's done more with a with a less supporting cast, and I, and I totally agree. He's actually had a better season than he had in his MVP campaign. So Jokic for me, Embiid, absolutely outstanding. Couldn't have done much more uh, for the 76ers. They've had the turmoil all year of what's been going on with Ben Simmons. They've had the trade happen. Harden's come in. Hasn't played at the level that you know. I'm sure they were hoping, but Embiid's game hasn't suffered at all uh, since Harden's come on board. So, so outstanding season for both of those guys. But I've also lent Jokic in the forward department. Obviously, Giannis is clearly a walk-up start, and it wouldn't surprise me. You saw, you mentioned that you thought it was probably a Jokic Embiid one-two MVP. Well, I think Giannis is really starting to throw his name, uh, up, throw his hand up in the air and say, "Don't forget about me." He, he's numbers like he's up to. He's a chance to to overtake LeBron for, for the leading scorer in the NBA, and nobody really thinks about Giannis as an, an outstanding scorer, but he's at just over 30 points a game, almost 12 rebounds, almost six assists. He's played the 63 games, so around the same mark as Embiid, 55, 30, 72 splits. Milwaukee have made their way up into the second season. So just another outstanding season from Giannis, and he's obviously an elite defender as well, so he ticks the box on both ends of the floor. And we've seen... 
His free throw shooting's improved, and and obviously his ability to be a closer has also has also gone up. That that second forward spot for me, Caddy, I found really difficult. It came down to me between Kevin Durant and Jason Tatum, and the reason in the end I ended up going with Jason Tatum is just that games mark seventy three games to fifty one to Durant is a that's a huge amount. Twenty two games is a lot to to sort of make up for Durant. Now I think Durant has had a better season when he's been on the court. Durant's numbers outstanding, 30 points a game, over seven rebounds, over six assists, 52-39-90 split, so almost that magical 50-40-90 club. Now, Brooklyn have obviously been a little bit disappointing with a 40-38 record for the 10th seed now, surprisingly so. But but Tatum, especially uh, since the All-Star break, you know, Boston have arguably been, well, j- just outside Phoenix, they've been the best team in the NBA since that all-star break, and Tatum has taken his game to another level since then. So 27 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, 45-35, 85 splits. As I said, he's played the 73 games, and Boston are now 48-30, and 30, which is good for the third seed. So I'm assuming Caddy had Giannis as that first forward. Which way did you did you end up leaning for your second forward? Yeah, it might sound a little bit repetitive, but I, I, I went the same way, and this is probably... Really only on the back of the last couple of weeks, I think, you know, the longer we've been able to lead this discussion, I think has given a guy like Tatum, you know, even more ammunition to sort of demand that spot. I think the way that the Celtics have really since, you know, the, the new year ticked over in the start of January, they've just been absolutely brilliant. You know, they, they were really sort of question mark as to what was going wrong with them, you know, for the first part of the season and things certainly weren't looking that well. But really Tatum um, has... Uh, led that team back into, you know, at one point they were the number one seed in the East a, a week or so ago. So it's been an outstanding turnaround and, you know, his individual numbers are, are, are outstanding and continues to improve as a player. And, and I think, yeah, the, the game's played is certainly going to be taken into consideration. I mean, it's a pretty hot line up there in, in, in the forward spots when you're talking, you know, guys like Duran and LeBron. Marta Rosen's probably another one there that can be considered as a forward. But I think, yeah, the, the team success, um, individual numbers for Tatum at 27 points a game, eight rebounds, I think, um, is enough with the 73 games played to this point um, to, to slide into that first team, which, you know, which probably would have been, yeah, absolutely scoffed at if you were sort of talking at that level for him um, earlier in the season. So it's a, it's been a great turnaround. And, and I think, yeah, Boston all of a sudden, are, um, you know, a, a real concern for, for, for some of these Eastern sort of contenders, but whether whether or not the Robert Williams injury that happened last week sort of puts a bit of a, a stop to that potentially. But, um, yeah, Tatum's been outstanding and I'd have him just yeah, ahead of Duran as well, um, mainly on the games played and the fact that the Brooklyn record, um, you know, incredible really that they're, they're still down in the 10th seat. It's just uh, mind-boggling how they haven't been able to sort of get on any type of run at all this year, the Brooklyn Nets. It certainly is, and no doubt we'll we'll chat a little bit about them uh, leading into that playing tournament. Now, now the guard position as well, it's such a competitive field for these guard positions. Uh, I ended up settling with Devin Booker as my first selection. Now, Phoenix have obviously had an incredible season, despite the fact they had a surprising loss to a basically uh, Memphis's B team yesterday, but it's 62 and 15, so seven game uh, better than anybody else in the whole in the whole NBA is incredible. And Devin Booker, you know, nearly 27 points a game, five rebounds, five, or six, five assists, 46, 37, 86 splits. He's played the 66 games, so he's been on the court for most of this. And obviously in Chris Paul's absence, it, that was when Booker really stepped up. We saw his shooting numbers go through the roof. His assist numbers w- went through the roof. And he really took it upon himself 
to make sure that Phoenix, you know, really held on to this number one seed. There was certainly some question marks when Chris Paul did go out, out with that injury because it was such a Chris Paul-centric team, uh, especially in the, in clutch time. But it was just just a real credit to Booker and obviously his teammates as well, but particularly Devin Booker that uh, Phoenix were able to remain as dominant as they were in the absence of Chris Paul. So I think Booker, for me, is definitely a first-team All-NBA guard. And the other one, I just lent Luka Doncic, and this is just based on the fact that Dallas have had a sort of an outstanding sort of, similar to Boston, I guess, um, have really got on a roll of late. They're now 48 and 38 up to the fourth seed, and they're only a game behind Golden State. Now, they could potentially end up getting the third seed, and Doncic had a, a bit of a disappointing start to the season. He came into the season, what, you know, a little bit out of shape for him. He, he always he probably looks a little bit out of shape now, but certainly what wasn't in the best condition you would hope for a guy of Luka Doncic's uh, capabilities. But he, he's now up to 28 points a game, nine rebounds, almost nine assists, 45-35-74 splits. And he's really the only guy the Dallas Mavericks offense that the opposition need to worry about. So for him to be able to continually put up these numbers uh, with so much workload on his back, he's played the 61 games. So he has had a couple of injuries, but he's still been out there for 61 games. So for him to be able to carry a huge workload and sort of drag this team, this Dallas team, which which isn't a great roster when you look at what he's got surrounded around him to that to that fourth seed. And as I said, potentially the third seed, that for me just tipped it in Doncic's favour to grab that last guard spot in the first team. Which two guys did you go with, Caddy, when we've got sort of a glut of guys we could choose from? Yeah, well, we probably should have had a bit of a um, pre-podcast meeting here because um, it's going to get sound a bit repetitive because <laughs> I've gone Booker and Luca as well. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a hot field, as you mentioned. Ja Morant's probably the guy that I would have probably considered maybe in that slot um, in front of uh, Luca. But I, I think, as you mentioned, it's the same thing for me, just the fact that Dallas have continued to, to trend upwards. I mean, um, Ja Morant's had an absolutely incredible season. The fact Memphis, is, you know, clear second team in, in the West and, and that what is it? it's the second best roster in the whole uh, league as well. They're, they're still winning games, even though they're basically resting a lot of their players at the moment. They're on a seven-game win streak at the moment. And Morant's numbers, you know, have, have been an almost 27.6 points, nearly six rebounds and nearly seven assists. So he'd be well within his rights to, you know, have his hand up absolutely for that um, first team. But I think... Yeah, Do you dock him at all, Caddy, the fact that Memphis's record has been incredibly strong in his absence. I mean, it's not his fault, obviously, but do you look at that and say, well, they're obviously a very good team even without him, so let's let's dock him even if it's just a little bit? Well, I mean, yeah, when you're talking about, you know, most valuable player in that conversation, you know, often you do talk about, you know, what would the team be like if that particular player wasn't in it? And I think um, the way it's worked this year, Memphis would basically be the best team in the league with <laughs> <laughs> yeah. their record yeah. um, on, on a percentage basis without Jar Morant. So, yeah, look, quite possibly, but, yeah, I think that's it. A bit tough on, on Jay is, um, yeah, it's probably more of a, a credit to Memphis. And, you know, they are pretty even, you know, through their sort of first play down to about, you know, their eighth player. So they've got great depth in that lineup. But um, Jay's been absolutely superb. You know, 50% shooting on the 27.6 points is, is, is awesome as well. And uh, But I think Luca again, similar to, as you've mentioned, Tatum and even Jokic um, to an extent in terms of what we think, you know, the limitations around the roster that he's got around him um, to really drive this Dallas team up into what you said, yeah, it could almost be a third seed by the when it's all said and done. Um, pretty outrageous. And 
he's just played his way into terrific form throughout the season, and and I think yeah, his numbers are you know that that twenty eight nine and eight or whatever it is 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 a uh, slightly ahead for me on for Jar, and you know I've pretty much I think landed with the first same first team as you have. It's looking at right, let's see how we trend in their second team. I, I agree. Of Morant was the other guy I was considering, but again, Morant's only played the fifty six games, and and Doncic is at the sixty one. So when when we're talking about these first team All NBAs, and we have to start splitting hairs, that that extra five games for me was was the reason that I did lean Doncic. So second team, we've obviously both got Embiid as a center, Durant as a four. We've spoken about these guys, and Morant as one of the guards. So that leaves two spots. Open. There's one forward spot and one guard spot. I went with Demar Derozan as that as that vacant forward spot. Now you can say, well, Demar Derozan isn't a forward; he's more a guard. Well, and I think he was voted in as a guard in the All Star game. But he's the way that uh, Chicago plays, and you obviously know this better than anyone, Caddy. It's basically Vucevic and four guards uh, around him, and Derozan essentially takes up a you know a small forward or even a power forward position at times. So I've sort of fudged, not fudged it, but because that's essentially the position he plays. I think he's had an outstanding season. Chicago obviously copped a little bit of heat when they signed DeRozan in the offseason. Everybody sort of looked at the number they signed him, signed him to and went, well, who are you bidding against? Why did you why did you have to pay DeRozan that much? Well, you know, I think they're having the last laugh now. 28 points a game. Over five assists and five rebounds. He's played the 73 games, so he's been incredibly durable in a season where we've seen a number of these stars miss a lot of games. 50% from the field, 87% from the free throw line. And Chicago, 45 and 35. Obviously, they've dropped off a little bit in the back half of this season with, with the injuries to, to, to Ball and uh, and some of their other guards. But they're good for the sixth seed at the moment. And I think DeRozan deserves to be rewarded for an outstanding season. He was he was in the MVP conversation probably three or four weeks ago. Now he's he's tapered off a little bit. He had a, a, an outstanding game a couple of games ago, and he's still playing at a very high level. So I think for me, Caddy, I've ended up settling with DeRozan for that second forward spot on the second team. Who took the, the other forward spot for you behind Durant on the second team? Yeah, I've gone DeRozan as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you my other guard before you do, just so I'm not yeah. really copying everything you're saying. But, yeah, no, I've got DeRozan. Uh, ahead of LeBron James in, in that uh, forward spot. I, I think it's absolutely fair to name him as a forward. I don't find even that at all controversial. The way he does play in the Bulls lineup is, is pretty much the, you know, as a small forward, um, you know, when they've got generally playing Zach Levine and Kobe White and Ayo Desumnu as, as their main guards and Lonzo Ball when he's out there. So he certainly does even play as a small ball four sometimes in those lineups. So, yeah, no issue there for me with DeRozan being there. I think, as you mentioned, he was an MVP candidate. I think the fact the Bulls kind of went on that bit of a, a losing sort of run a few weeks back and, you know, instead of being a top two or three seed, so it looks like they're going to be somewhere in that fifth to seventh uh, range. Um, and, and the fact, I think, in the end, their their record just hasn't, you know, they haven't been able to beat the good teams at all regularly or, or at all, um, in fact. So um, that probably... Is, is another reason the DeRozan buzz sort of dried up with the MVP. But I think, yeah, he certainly still should be rewarded here in the second team at All-NBA with his scoring, um, you know, even putting up a 50-piece the other day was outstanding. And, um, yeah, it, it, the Bulls have been ravaged uh, with injury and, and different things this year as well. And he's been their mainstay, played the 73 games so far and has been ultra-consistent night in, night out, hit some game winners. There's not much more they could have asked of him. And, and really, in the end, there's a one of the great off-season signings that we've seen in recent times. 
It certainly was, Caddy. So I will let you select that last guard so we're not uh, copying each other. But so who have you gone for as your last guard? Yeah, again, like pretty deep um, in terms of the guard spots here. But I think this guy um, is incredibly important to everything his team does and has had an out, another outstanding season. And it's probably been, a, I suppose, in, in a sense, that a couple of the other contenders maybe just didn't play enough games, I think, in the end to, to push him out. So I've gone Steph Curry in the uh, second team with his 25 points a game, five boards, six assists, 64 games he's played. So, yeah, he has missed – I probably thought he'd missed more than that, to be honest. So I, I didn't feel too bad about that when you compare it to a Chris Paul or someone like that as well. So I think, yeah, the, the way he started the season in particular, I think Steph Curry, um, it was just, yeah, a bit of a throwback to – to his halcyon days four or five years ago and, um, yeah, was was just killing them and braining them and, and, you know, really putting the fear of the Golden State Warriors back in into the league and becoming really relevant um, once again after a, a, a slow couple of years. So, yeah, I've, I've put him in as the, as the second guard in my second team. Well, I'm glad we're going to finally disagree, Caddy, because as you said, it would have started to get boring. Now, we're, we're both huge Steph Curry fans. You've ran through... Uh, he's season there, and I've obviously got him on my third team. He, he was a little bit stiff. It was just, his numbers are probably well, not probably. They're, they're just not quite at the level you're used to from Steph Curry. Forty three percent from the field, thirty eight percent from three, which is his, a career low for him. If you take out the season uh, two seasons ago when he got injured, I only played I think it was five games. This is actually the first time in his career he shot under forty percent, incredibly from three, given the amount of attempts he takes per games and the degree of dif- difficulty in those shots that he takes. So. I relegated him to that third position, and you mentioned Chris Paul, and I've just gone for Chris Paul slightly above Steph Curry now. Curry's played the 64 games at the moment, and Chris Paul's on 62, so I'm projecting out for these remaining games that Chris Paul's going to at least get to 64 or even slightly ahead of him. And now Chris Paul had an outstanding start to the season. When we spoke about, I think it was a halfway marker, whenever we first spoke about our MVP, I had Chris Paul in the top five at that stage because of um, as I mentioned when I spoke about Devin Booker, the fact that Chris Paul was such an influential figure in in the start the Phoenix had to the season. Now they've obviously continued to play really well without him, but you know since he's been back, he slotted straight back in. His numbers: fifteen points a game, four and a half rebounds, leads the league in assists, ten point seven assists a game. He still plays really good defense for a guy of his size and age, and you know forty nine percent from the field, eighty three percent from the from the free throw line. He, he's just a flat out closer a guy who you want the the ball in his hands uh, come crunch time and just another outstanding season. And for a guy that, you know, when he was traded to Phoenix, everyone sort of thought he was probably on his last legs to have the season he had last year and then they re-upped him and signed him to a, to a nice extension again. Full full credit to Chris Paul to, to be able to continue to play at the level that he has over these last couple of seasons. So I just went with, with Chris Paul ahead of Steph Curry. I assume, Caddy, you slotted uh, CP3 into your third team? Yeah, I've got him as one of the guards there in the third team, and I've got him paired there with Trey Young um, in the other guard spot. Um, you know, and I think probably the unlucky one out of that that's missed out for me is probably Donovan Mitchell. Um, more around, yep. you know, Utah just being another. I, I suppose just probably sleep on them a little bit because it's it's pretty um, stock standard night in night out <laughs> with the Jazz. There's not too much to get either too excited or, or too down about. They're they're pretty solid, but um, yeah, I think Trey Young, you know. Albeit, you know, the Hawks haven't probably had the, the season that they would have liked on the back of last year. The fact that they've been able to work their way back in now to to the top eight, I think, is a, a pretty admirable effort. And Trey Young's been the architect 
of that once again, you know, playmaker, scorer. Yeah, he's again 28 points, nearly 10 assists. The numbers are stacked up um, right there. He's uh, three point field goal percentage is in line with where Curry's was and slightly higher with the uh, general field goal percentage. So I've got him in there probably just ahead, I think, of Donovan Mitchell, who'd be the one I've had to leave out. Yeah, I've gone for exactly the same there. I just had Trey Young over Donovan Mitchell. Mitchell, obviously, very, very unlucky, but you know, you ran through. Trey's numbers there. He's played just seventy-two games again. When I'm when it's really close to me, I I got to sort of split hairs somewhere. Mitchell's only played the sixty-five games, so Trey Young got the nod just from, just ahead of me, and he, he's had a, an incredible season, hasn't he? The numbers that you ran through: twenty-eight points, almost ten assists, 45, 38, 90 splits. Now you, you you said it there that Atlanta have been a little bit disappointing, and they have, but they're forty-one and thirty-seven. And when you look at uh, Utah at forty-six and thirty-two, that's obviously a better record. But it's not light years ahead of of uh, what Atlanta have done. So that was the reason for me that that I did have Trey Young ahead of Donovan Mitchell. Was there were there any other guards, Caddy, for you that you you considered for me? I didn't think there was anyone else. It seemed pretty clear cut uh, for me that there was probably seven standout guards this season and they weren't going to go into six and there was going to be one unlucky guy and it was probably always going to come down to Mitchell or Trey Young or was there another guard that you sort of looked at and, and considered uh, for that last spot with Mitchell and Trey Young? Oh, not really. Look, I think there was a bit of a gap then to the next bunch of guys, which is you're probably looking down there at Darius Garland and uh, Zach Levine potentially. They're probably on that, that next run of, of players that potentially would be considered um, in those spots. So, yeah, I think there was, you know, that top seven we've discussed and then and then a bit of a gap back to, to Levine and Garland probably for mine. Yeah, I think that's about right. You know, Middleton and Drew Holiday, maybe you could mount an outside case for. But, yeah, as I said, I, I think those top seven were pretty clear cut. So we'll move on now, Caddy, to, to the centre position. And, and who did you end up settling with for your third team centre? It was probably going to come down to... Two guys, I'd say maybe either Rudy Gobert or Carl Anthony Towns or maybe even a, a Bam, depending on, on sort of what you think of him. But who did you end up going with? Yeah, look, in the end, I, I think I've yeah, probably snubbed Utah altogether here and I've gone with Towns in that spot. Um, I think it's well-deserved. It's been a real bounce-back season or, or a real improved season for Minnesota. I, I think, you know, we're just so accustomed to them being a, a disappointment uh, of a franchise. But, yeah, finally they've been able to, really cement themselves early on in the piece that they were going to be in the mix here. Look, they're not guaranteed yet of a play playoff spot. They're going to uh, look to finish probably seventh in that play-in and, and at least have, you know, the, the home court opportunity to, to lock into a um, a playoff um, playoff seeding. And, you know, I think if they, if they were to finish seventh there and, and get that Memphis matchup, then I think they'd go in with, you know, at least some confidence that they, you know, can give that a bit of a shake and, Carl Anthony Towns has had a terrific season, 71 games and 24 points, nearly 10 rebounds, um, yeah, and clearly the team leader there uh, for them. So, um, yeah, ahead of Rudy Gobert, and again, it's probably just a bit vanilla, <laughs> the Utah stuff, and, and perhaps there's a bit, a bit more exciting narrative around Towns and the Timberwolves, and, and that's where I'll, I've probably elevated Carl um, Anthony Towns into that third team. Yep, I totally agree. I've got Towns as my starting centre as well in the third team. For me, it's his shooting splits, 53, 41, 82. You know, that's just incredible shooting. He's sort of been calling himself, or people have been calling him anyway, the best uh, best seven, 
what are they calling the best seven foot shooter of all time or whatever that they're calling him? I think Dirk Nowitzki's probably got something to say about that, but he but he's had an incredible year. You know, it's been been a disappointing couple of seasons for Towns. He's had a, had a lot going on off the court with the passing of his mum and. You know, I've mentioned this quite a few times on the podcast, the fact that he was the guy that the GMs chose about three or four seasons ago. With He, he was a player that they would want to start their franchise with. So good to see him, uh, you know, find his feet again. And in this Minnesota team, 44 and 34, I don't think anybody really expected them to, to have a record like that. We thought they might be on the fringe of being a playoff team in the Western Conference. So to, to come out and have that record, I think, is full credit to, to Carl Anthony Towns. Rudy Gobert, as you said, I, I don't know whether we, we underrate him. Maybe his defense doesn't sort of get enough credit, but you know, 15 points a game, almost 15 rebounds, shooting 70% from the field is incredible. And you know, the, the two blocks a game, and, and I thought, but I just think that Utah have just left us feeling a little bit hollow. Which, in fairness to them, we've we've probably looked at them certainly leading into this season and said we don't really care what you produce during the regular season. Let's see what you can do in the playoffs. So. It seems a little bit unfair then to hold the regular season against them when they should be only worrying about the playoffs. So let's see how they go in the playoffs. But, you know, there could be some changes coming to the Utah Jazz if they do have a disappointing exit in the playoffs. We'll move on now to the to the forwards, Caddy. And, and I'm really interested how you went with this. For me, it was really difficult. And the first selection I went with was Pascal Siakam. Now, he's at 22 points a game, eight and a half rebounds, over five assists. He's played the 64 games. His shooting splits are really good, 49, 35, 74. And Toronto at 45 and 32 in the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference, which, you know, full credit to them after that disappointing season they had last year where they had to play all their home games out of Tampa. So that they've certainly bounced back. You know, they've just got their noses in front of Chicago at the moment. But Siakam... Particularly, he's had a little bit of a slow start to the season, but certainly since uh, since the new year, he's been great. He's really been the one pushing them. He's great on the defensive end and and, and has really improved on the offensive end as well. So he, for me, he took that first forward spot, and I still haven't even decided, Caddy, who I'm going to take for that second forward spot. And the conversation I want to have with you, Caddy, is about LeBron James. Now, this is a guy who's leading the league in scoring at 30 points a game. He's eight rebounds, six assists. 52, 35, 76 splits. Now, the numbers are absolutely leaping off the page, but the Los Angeles Lakers are now 31 and 46 in the 11th spot in the in the Western Conference. They're not even in the playing tournament at the moment. And this is a team that, despite the fact, you know, both me and you didn't like the, the trade they made in the offseason, and, and most people didn't. They were, they might have even been the, the favourites with Vegas, or they're certainly in the top two, two or three favoured teams leading into the season and to be down now in the 11th seed do you have to do you have to dock LeBron for that we saw um Bradley Beal last season I think he finished just second in the scoring but he didn't make either of the any of the M or all NBA teams because we we said well your team doesn't have a good enough record you're putting up hollow numbers can we can we do this to LeBron as well I mean I'm not blaming LeBron for the fact that they've got such a bad record but I, I think that certainly of late LeBron Stat chasing is a hard sort of moniker to throw at LeBron James, but it, to me, he feels like he's going out there and trying to score as many points as he possibly can. And his defense has certainly slackened right off. What's your positioning on LeBron, Caddy? Um, have you got him in on your third team, or have you left him out? Uh, look, I've, I've put him in. Um, yeah, I just can't get away from the, the scoring numbers at his age, in particular. I think you know it's different if you were talking about a guy absolutely in, in his prime, but this guy's you know in his 
what is it, 19th season um, and putting up 30 points a game. It, Should I that be considered, quite... though? Like, you're at 1 oh, million percent, not. right? Yeah, but do no. shouldn't we just be taking, you know, your numbers on face value regardless of what your age is? Yeah, and look, if we're doing that, I think the numbers that stack up, I mean, the record for the team, as, as we mentioned, is, is horrendous. And, you know, the fact that they now, you know, it looks like likely to not even make the plane is, is even more embarrassing. But, you know, there's been some reasons around that. I mean, LeBron's missed, you know, 20 games himself, plus, you know, Anthony Davis has missed a huge chunk of the season. But I think, you know, the, for me, there probably just wasn't that next standout um, person underneath it. And there's probably... Oh, I suppose there'd be the Miami fans up in, up in arms here for a yep. potential Jimmy but- Butler snub potentially, and Middleton's probably another guy that you could, could be considering in the forward spot. But for I me, Caddy was end, actually it was actually Bam Adebayo was the one I was tossing up between. Now he plays obviously a lot of centre, but he he can sort of toggle between the two positions. And Miami, as you said, there might be some Miami fans, myself included, with, with their hands up in the air saying, "What what's going on here? We're fifty and twenty eight. We're the number one seed." in the Eastern Conference and we're not going to have a representative on, on the first three teams. Now that's a you can look at that as a as a credit to Miami, the fact that they're very deep and, you know, they've got Lowry, Bam, Kyle Lowry, um, Tyler Hero. They have got a lot of guys that, that do contribute. But for me, Adebayo, I was tossing up between Adebayo and LeBron. You know, Bam's numbers certainly you know, nineteen points a game, ten rebounds, three and a half assists. He's only played the fifty three games. Now LeBron's at the fifty six games, so you know, there's not a huge difference there. I'd imagine Bam will probably get closer to LeBron. I think LeBron's probably going to sit out a couple of games. And and as I said, that the fact that Miami is fifty and twenty eight, and the Lakers are thirty one and forty six, how much do we weigh that up? You know, Bam out of bio. If he probably played a few more games, would have been one of the front runners for defensive player of the year as well. So he brings a lot on the defensive end, whereas LeBron doesn't bring a lot. I'm trying to talk myself into Bam Adebayo, Caddy, being a Miami fan. I don't know if I'm doing it, but I'm trying to mount mount a case. But, yeah, it's an interesting one. I'm sure LeBron will make one of the teams. I'd be staggered if he doesn't. But I I, I think it's an interesting test case that uh, given that we had Bradley Beal do something similar last year and wasn't rewarded. Yeah, no, it's an absolutely valid point. I think the fact that the record has slid so far back now, it's, um, yeah, it could get interesting to see whether – that comes into play despite, you know, the, the incredible statistical numbers uh, that LeBron's put up uh, this year. But, yeah, I think in the end, it, it's, it's for me, it's a bit too hard to, to overlook. And, um, yeah, I think it'd be a, some brave selectors to, to leave him out. But um, there's probably one other guy that I probably could have mentioned in that guards, but he also plays a bit of, I suppose, small forward potentially. DeJounte Murray in the, in the Spurs, I think he's had a, a ripper season in the fact that, you know, San Antonio now have overtaken the Lakers there in um, in the tenth spot uh, in the West. I think um, yeah, Dejounte Murray's had a had an outstanding year and he continues to be an improved player. Nearly nearly averaging a triple double. In fact, twenty one points, eight re- rebounds, and nine assists. So he'd be one that I'd be you know I think we'll get some consideration um, in that third team as well potentially. But I think yeah, there's probably just a couple ahead of him, but uh, certainly well worth a, a, a thought for sure. Yeah, oh, he has first time All Star. Outstanding on the defensive end as well. So he's certainly his games really come on this year. So it looks like we we sort of almost had the same fifteen players. Almost just, just sort of we jumbled around a couple of them between between the second and third team. So it's interesting to see whether when these teams are announced, if it is these basically fifteen players. I'm 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 going to say LeBron does make that third team that that end up making it. And and as I said with the guards, it was really only Mitchell. You know, you, you just threw out Murray and we threw up some other names, but it was really only Mitchell that 
we felt was really unlucky. And then when you look at the forward, forward positioning, for me it was Bam or, or maybe even a Butler. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, when these teams are announced. And obviously, Caddy, now we've only got a couple of games left uh, before the completion of the season. What what What's sort of going to catch your attention over the last couple of games? Is it to see how the that sort of bottom of the East shape out where the Brooklyn can get up to that eighth position um, and only have to win the one playing game or are you looking at the top of the East? What's sort of going to grab your attention for the last few games? Yeah, I think it is the top of the East and it's probably – I don't think it should be anymore because I don't think Brooklyn have done enough now to really put the fear of God into too many teams and they shouldn't be worried too much. But whether there is any kind of jockeying for positions to avoid Brooklyn, so whether – it looks like, you know, best case scenario, Brooklyn can only get up to the eight. You know, is Miami, they've got the one and a half games clear now of Milwaukee. Are they sort of going to be happy to ride this out for the next four games that they've got and, and keep winning? Or are they kind of prepared to almost slide back into a into a seventh seed potentially and uh, the second seed to, to, to miss Brooklyn? But look, I don't think it's worth worrying about really for these teams. Theoretically, I think they've just got to get on with it and, and you know, take some take their own form into the into the playoffs. But, yeah, that, that that's probably where my fascination is. I think, you know, Toronto's been the one that's continued to creep up on on me in particular. I think, yeah, the fact they're now up into the fifth seed. I know there's some um, some doubts around whether all players of all teams have been vaccinated, if that then affects yeah. you know, any players getting into There's a news uh, when Boston Toronto. played there a couple of weeks or so ago that Tatum and... I think both and Brown didn't travel either, and there was some speculation that maybe they weren't vac. So yeah, that's going to be really interesting to see what happens when you come up against Toronto. Yeah, so that'll be an interesting watch. Um, yeah, I think in the West, yeah, I think there, there's a bit of a gap there, obviously at the top, and then there's a big group there in the middle, which has been the case most of the year in that Dallas, Utah, Denver uh, conglomerate. So yeah, I think really they'll all end up pretty much having to play one another at some point anyway. So there's probably not too much fascination other than now just yeah looking at the Lakers as to whether they can get back into the the 10th seed it doesn't look like that there's a lot of you know enthusiasm from the players no. to do that they're on a five game lose streak but they um and you might know they, they don't own their first pick I don't think no they don't year. so no. so there's not a huge amount of incentive to if it's top to 10 not, the to Pelicans get it and I think once it, if it falls out to the top 10 I think maybe Memphis get it yeah, okay. So, yeah, there's, there's no real reason for them not to be trying to get into there. But, um, yeah, whether they've just, you know, given up and, and just it's all got too hard for them. But, yeah, it's been a disaster. <laughs> you know, it's been fascinating watching it happen, the, the slide all the way down there to 11th. And, and really, I think, um, yeah, the less that if that happens, the less that's talked about them really for the rest of the season, the better. I think most people have probably had enough of worrying about them and, you know, you can get on to celebrating, you know, the Pelicans and the Spurs, if they do get in there, that, you know, have done pretty well, I think, both teams to to fight their way into that uh, position. Yeah, they certainly have. And, yeah, as you said, I think everybody's had enough about talking about the Lakers. Brooklyn, certainly, as you mentioned, uh, despite the fact that there's huge question marks about them, we saw Kevin Durant have a career high 55 points today and they still couldn't get across the line against Atlanta. So, you know, where that leaves them, I'm not too sure. But I am still I still don't think anybody's going to be really comfortable coming up against Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving because they can both explode. And there was, I think Steve Nash m- mentioned today that uh, Simmons is doing some very, very light on-court work at the moment, but it probably appears extremely unlikely that we're going to see Simmons back in the fold 
by the end of the season. But yeah, certainly a, a last interesting four or five games. And you know, come next week, Caddy, we'll, we might start dissecting some of these uh, playoff teams and maybe talking about some X factors. And you know, unfortunately for you, you won't be able to to go with some of the ones you went with. Who, who was your love child from the Spurs? Was, uh, with Bryn Forbes. Bryn Forbes, uh, yes, yes. Yep. Unfortunately, um, you won't be able to use him this year. Oh, he's playing it. Where's he now? Denver or somewhere, isn't he? Or... Well, actually, maybe. <laughs> maybe <laughs> hang on. Maybe you will go with him again. We, we, we might be able to slide him back, back into the podcast. Well, let's see what happens next week. But uh, we'll call it there, Caddy. And as I say, every week, thank you to everybody who continues to download the podcast. If you haven't jumped on Apple Podcasts yet and given us a five-star rating, please do so. We've also got the Facebook page up and going where we post all the episodes and you can uh, follow us from there. Until next week, we'll talk to you then.